What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Today on What Got You There we are joined by John Levy John is what I would consider the real life most interesting man in the world He's a human behavior scientist specializing in influence and the science of adventure Beyond his research he is the founder of the Influencers Dinner a secret dining experience and private community of thought leaders such as Olympians, Nobel laureates, and members of royalties to celebrities, scientists, musicians, and executives. He's also the author of The 2 a.m. Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. Today, what got you there is being fueled by Soniva Super Coffee. Soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil for all-day energy. Grab a bottle at your local Whole Foods market or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. John, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm having a great day. It's beautiful in New York. I'm super excited. Summer is coming in, and I can't wait to start traveling again. Yeah, any anytime the seasons are changing, the sun's out, it's always a great day. Uh, any travel upcoming for you? Oh, yeah, I think I have like uh, six countries and um, oh, a whole slew of, of uh, cities. I'm going... Uh, let me think. San Francisco, LA, San Diego, Reykjavik in Iceland, uh, followed by Berlin, then Israel, travel around with the family, uh, followed by Barcelona, then back to New York, LA, San Francisco. And it just keeps going like that for the rest of the summer. Eventually, once I finish off in Southeast Asia, I'll finally land back home and get to sleep in my own bed for a night. Hmm. Certainly not too much going on there. Seems like you got a lot of free time in your days. Yes. <laughs> uh, you are without a doubt one of the most interesting people. I, I truly believe that you should be the Dos Equis, most interesting man in the world. Uh, the, the, the events, activities you've taken part in, what you're currently doing is just fascinating. But before we dive into all that, how do you start your day? Um, I... Assuming I'm not waking up on like a train between two unpronounceable Eastern European cities, <laughs> uh, I spend my day, uh, I, I, I don't set an alarm because sleep is probably one of the most important uh, elements of living a, a, a good life. And so I make a policy not to set an alarm unless I have a flight or a really critical meeting. And then when I wake up, if I'm... Uh, a functional human being. I try to do uh, my 20 minutes of TM and uh, transcendental meditation. And then I clear my inbox, uh, brush my teeth and make some breakfast while taking a, a call with uh, my writing uh, staff. So I have a staff of people who uh, work with me on different projects. And I have somebody who just heads up all of the content creation because I produce everything from books to uh, 
just tons of content on Inc. Entrepreneur. I have a podcast. So there's a lot of logistics around creating that much content. And I have somebody who manages the process. And so we'll knock out like two or three articles uh, in the morning. And then the rest of my day is meetings and phone calls and podcast interviews and, you know, shenanigans. (laughs) Occasionally, occasionally I'll get people to cook me dinner. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Well, you mentioned uh, Inc. Magazine. You do some writing there. We'll have to link up your article, Why You Should Avoid Waking Up at 5 a.m. Every Day in There. I thought that was a great read and always interesting hearing different perspectives there. And then you mentioned TM. How long have you been doing TM for? Uh, about, I think it's six or seven months. And, and it's funny. I, I know that there's all this research that supports it. I do it because the research supports it. And I do feel a benefit. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm not like the biggest convert in the world yet. And I'll still keep doing it because I believe in, in really respecting what research says rather than what we think or feel about it. Hmm, I got you. And anything else you've been implementing based on research? Uh, so the, the sleep stuff for sure. Um, then, uh, there's a whole slew of stuff. Uh, so there's very suggestive research about, uh, diet that, uh, a diet high in complex carbohydrates is actually incredibly unhealthy. And so I, I focus on a ketogenic diet. I am also, uh, very focused on social interaction. Yes. So, Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say social interactions, the majority of what I would enjoy talking about with you today. So for my listeners who are unfamiliar, you kind of want to just fill them in, give a brief description on yourself and what you do. Uh, sure. So I am a professional geek who grew up so unpopular. Nobody wanted to sit next to him in grade school, like literally nobody. And uh, I figured that I'm not going to become cool doing what the cool kids do. Uh, but maybe I'll have a chance if I'm able to apply my scientific brain and my love of science to social interaction. So I, my life really became defined by understanding what influences our decisions and how to connect with people at every level of uh, industry. And uh, what I ended up creating in the process was one, kind of learning how to interact with people and become friends. And two, I I created a secret dining experience where 12 people are invited and they're not allowed to talk about what they do or give their last name. They cook dinner together. And when they sit down to eat, everybody gets to guess what everybody else does. And they find out that it's a Nobel laureate sitting across from an Olympic medalist, the president of a television network, the editor in chief of a magazine, a famous television celebrity, and so on and so forth. And I've hosted about a thousand people across a hundred and some odd dinners uh, in nine cities and three countries. Uh, so it's, this turned into a thriving community of really thought leaders, uh, across industry. And it's been an incredible privilege to, uh, to create this community because the fact is that I like, I'm really good at my work and I'm smart and all that and no super genius, but I would never earn a seat at the table if I didn't own the table. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. And I mean, I definitely want to jump into the influencers dinner. I think that's one of the more fascinating things going around right now. But what I want to know about is how do you go from being one of the least popular kids to being now known as one of the leading super connectors in America? How does that transition happen? Is it is it one day you say, you know what, I need to make a change to better my life? Or does it occur over time? Uh, so I think all that stuff definitely occurs over time, right? You have to clock in 
the hours. Uh, let, let, let's take a look at it from a scientific perspective. We all know the popularization of this idea of the 10,000 hour rule. It actually comes from a book called Talent is Overrated and refers to one specific study about music schools uh, or a music school. And in this school, they separated the students into high performers, medium and low. And then they looked across the board and they found out that the top performers were the ones that clocked in 10,000 hours. But 10,000 hours only matters if it's concerted effort, meaning it doesn't help if you want to work on your golf swing, if you just get a bunch of golf balls and just start hitting them. What you need to do is grab a golf ball, check out your grip, get into position, swing, and then make notes. And keep looking at what improves and worsens your skills. It has to be focused on understanding. It, it has to be about the improved process as a professional would. And that's essentially the approach that I took towards social interaction. I wanted to understand what is it that caused the cool kids to be cool? What is it that led people to connect? What does research actually say? And as I would come across these ideas, I would actually go out and test them. And so I'll, I'll give you a simple example. Have you ever heard of the Ben Franklin effect? Uh, yes, with reciprocity. Yeah, exactly. So there's this story from Ben Franklin's, uh, from his autobiography, which if you guys haven't read is probably one of the, the best rated autobiographies ever. And he talks about this contentious political rival. Uh, he was just causing all these issues for Franklin. And Franklin thought, how am I going to win this person over? Well, if he's nice to him, then it probably won't work. So instead, he wrote to the man asking to borrow a very rare book from the man's private library. And the man had to go out of his way to deliver it to Franklin. And as a byproduct, they ended up becoming friends. And what was a contentious relationship turned into a lifelong friendship. And the reason is, and research supports this, is that if you do a favor for me, it turns out you'll like me more. And so a lot of people talk about how like, oh, I don't want to be dependent on anybody. I'm not going to ask for favors. But the fact is that we evolved as a social species. And anything that gets us to commit effort to one another is good in terms of causing bonding between the members of a community. So rather than trying to be completely independent, if you want to be significantly more productive, successful, happy, then what you need to do is actually ask for favors and be willing to be generous and support other people in your community. So you mentioned asking favors. Is this how you initially started the Influencers Dinner? I'm just trying to figure out how you take a group of 12 highly successful people and manage to get them all in the same room and cooking dinner for you. How does that occur? Well, it all started about eight years ago. I was sitting in a seminar and uh, the seminar leader said something that was obvious to some degree, but hit me in a very meaningful way. He said, the fundamental element that defines the quality of our lives are the people we surround ourselves with and the conversations we have with them. And all of us know that that's true, but none of us live like it's true. We don't curate our lives based on the traits we want to embody. And if you actually look at research, it's staggering how accurate this is. So for starters, 
there was research done by Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler. And Christakis and Fowler were curious about the obesity epidemic. They were curious, does obesity transfer from person to person like a cold? Or is it a percentage of the population, right? Like randomly occurring and just a certain number of people have it. And if more people keep getting it, it becomes a real issue. And what they found was staggering. It turns out that it passes from person to person. It's contagious. So if you have a friend who's obese, Sean, your chances of obesity increase by 45%. And what's even more staggering is that your friends who don't know this obese person, their chances increase by 25%. Their friends by 10% and their friends by 5%. We have an effect four degrees out, which is staggering. Yeah, the work by Christakis is just, it's mind boggling. and I, I love hearing you talk about this right now. Oh, he, they, they have a great book called, uh, I think it's Connected, The Secret Power of Our Social Networks or something, or The Hidden Influence of Our Social Networks. I highly recommend it for everybody. I think it should be a must read in the sense of understanding how deep and profoundly we impact one another, even though we don't think about it. What they also went on to realize is that everything from marriage and divorce rates to smoking habits, uh, it's all, and our happiness, sadness, all passes from person to person. So I, I became obsessed, uh, maybe not obsessed, but like really interested in understanding what would bring together the most influential people in our culture. Because if we have such a profound impact on one another, we have an obligation to impact the people who can have the biggest effect. And since no longer can the problems that we tackle as a society be handled by homogeneous groups, right? It's like we're long past the days that if you want to fix the economy, you just get a bunch of economists. In <laughs> like you need key and in, uh, influential people across industry. It helps to have a marketer and an education expert and professors of behavioral science and so on and so forth. And from the, a group of disparate individuals, you get a much greater wealth of knowledge because with each additional person, you actually bring an entire field. Rather, if you have 20 economists in a room and you added 21st, you haven't actually added much knowledge. Right? They, everybody else in the room probably has that already. So I got super curious on what it'll take to bring these people together. And so I began by first looking at what their social pressures are. What are their lives like? So let me ask you a question. What is the life of a highly influential person like, Sean? I mean, great impact on someone is able to make a lot of change occur um, almost rapidly. But not what's the defining characteristic, like not how do we judge if somebody is or isn't influential, but rather what are their lives like? What is their day-to-day -day like? Because if you really want to connect with somebody, you need to be able to put yourself in their shoes. You need to model their life and their behavior. So you're a high-level influencer. Name somebody, whoever you want. Peter Diamandis. Wonderful. Peter Diamandis, brilliant guy, author of the book Abundance. He co-founded everything from X Prize to, to Singularity University. He's a brilliant thought leader in our society, right? Mm -hmm. What do you think his life is like? Uh, incredibly hectic. I'm sure he's juggling multiple projects at a time. His time is probably one of the most valuable assets he has. Mm -hmm. 
uh, everybody wants something from him, right? They want the, his social clout, his access, his money, his expertise, right? And what do you think his time is actually spent doing? Do you think it's hobnobbing with the rich and famous going to parties every night? Um, I'd assume probably not, but I know with his work, he does have a lot of those commitments. Uh, his life is mostly spent, I'm assuming, and I've had the pleasure of meeting him on several occasions, uh, is spent going in and out of meetings, getting on phone calls, probably traveling back and forth from an office, and maybe a, a couple nights a week he has something, some cool event, but the fact is that if he goes to one more casino-themed fundraiser, <laughs> it's like, who needs it, yep. right? Uh, and since he has a family and kids, chances are a guy like that will want to tuck his kids into bed. So if you're going to get on his calendar, you better be providing something special. So that's where it began. It began with understanding what the lives of highly influential people are like. And only once you understand that can you even begin to connect with them. Right. The other thing I had going for me is that I'm mostly oblivious to who a celebrity is because the, <laughs> the moment that you know somebody's a celebrity, anybody who tells you that they don't act different around celebrities is a liar. They're just a, a liar or they have like they're on a spectrum somewhere where they have no emotional access. But we're wired to respond to people of high social status. And if a famous celebrity were to walk into a room that we're hanging out in, we couldn't help but look over and act differently and talk to them differently and treat them differently. So probably the biggest thing is that I didn't really grow up culturally American in the same way as everybody else. Like I just didn't know who the pop stars were and like didn't care about cars. I wasn't like a guy. And so that was a major benefit because then I didn't realize how important people were. Because if I did, I'd probably have much more hesitation to approach them. Hmm. And, and when somebody's a celebrity, like I still get affected by it. It's not like I don't. We all do. Uh, but I, I developed a model for understanding how to engage uh, highly influential people. And it has to do with really being generous initially because everybody wants something from them. So if you want to connect with them, you, you need to give. You need to provide something that nobody else is providing. You need to... Uh, it's more so almost about curation, making sure the right people are in the room than anything else uh, because they're highly influential people mostly spend their time with staff. They don't get to be with people at their level. And, and so it, it was about designing an experience that truly stands out where they didn't feel like anybody was trying to take advantage of them, that they were curious what was going to happen next. And that's, what led to the creation of the Influencers Dinner. I knew I needed to create something like this. And then one day, a bunch of friends came over for dinner. We were supposed to go out. And instead of going out, we went to the supermarket and bought supplies. We cooked dinner together. And even though before they arrived, none of them knew each other, by the end, they were acting like best friends. And I said, this is how what I'm going to have to do. And it took me another, I think, six months or so to realize the format and the idea of anonymity and all these other things. And now you mentioned you've pretty much had over a thousand people in this. What I'm curious about is how do you let them to get rid of their ego and all just have a mutual bonding experience at this dinner? Um, it's really hard 
to have an ego uh, when the person next to you is, has won the Nobel Prize for understanding memory and <laughs> the person on your other side is uh, a two-time Grammy award-winning artist and the person across from you is an Olympic medalist because the it's like the paradox of choice, right? The the more choices you are, that you, you rather you have, the less happy you are with the paradox of choice, right? But the more there are impressive people around you, the less relatively impressive you are. And so versus the group, it's important to be humble. Um, but on the individual, like if you're one-on-one -on -one with this person, maybe their ego pops up. So it's a byproduct of curation. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. So with all of your dinners, all your travels, is there one person that's really stood out and just being what you would think one of the most interesting people in the world? Uh, well, I have a best friend. His name is Liam Alexander. He's an artist and I really love his art. But for me, hanging out with him is better than, you know, like I'd rather have a rainy Tuesday with Liam than I would uh, going to the Emmys. John, I love your response there because I think so many listeners right now were probably expecting you to say um, some celebrity, but you talked about earlier who you surround yourself with and how important that is. And you mentioned your best friend and the small little interactions you'll have on a rainy day will just have mm -hmm. such a profound impact on your life. So it's just cool hearing that perspective. But I know you aren't only known for sitting around on rainy days and your book, The 2 a.m. Principle, Discover the Science of Adventure. So in this book, you're exploring research on what causes people to live fun and exciting, remarkable lives. You wanna talk a little bit about your book and some of the experiences you had while writing that? Oh, gladly. So um, I spent probably about 10 years traveling, not full-time, but uh, spending a lot of my time on the road. and. I was curious what actually causes people to live meaningful lives, lives that are memorable and remarkable. Uh, and I had to begin by even understanding what an adventure is because we have these images of like these larger than life blockbuster movies that we can never live up to as, as individuals. Um, and I had heroes like Indiana Jones and Ferris Bueller. And so I had to begin by defining what an adventure is. As I see it, an adventure is defined by three things. One, it's an experience that's exciting and remarkable. It's worth talking about. We've passed down our knowledge through an oral history for millennia. And if it's not worth talking about, it's not culturally relevant. The second is that it possesses adversity and or risk. 
preferably, and this is really important, perceived risk. There's a difference between putting yourself in a, like immediate danger and something that just seems scary. So like running of the bulls, immediate danger. And I know this because I was crushed by a bull in Pamplona while <laughs> traveling around the world. And you can't ended up... just slide this one in here. We, we need this story. Uh, well, okay. So let me begin <laughs> by saying that I was affected by chemicals. And I don't mean like I was doing drugs, although technically I think it is a drug. Uh, I was uh, affected by something called the winner effect. It's uh, when you have a win, uh, your body floods with testosterone. And as a byproduct, what happens is that you become confident and it prepares you for the next battle. Now, the interesting thing is that it gives you an advantage for that next battle. And if you keep winning, you become more and more confident and more and more capable of continuing to win. The problem is, and this is really important, is that that confidence can quickly turn into overconfidence. And as a byproduct, it causes uh, animals in nature to end up spending too much time in the open or getting into unnecessary fights. So they get killed. So I'm at running of the bulls and uh, I made it through the run just fine. And I'm on a total high from uh, getting away safely. And then I realized, oh, wow, they're, they're letting the bulls into the stadium that we're in one at a time. And people are doing crazy stuff like trying to jump over the bull and slapping it. And so on. so I run up to a bull and I slap it on its ass. <laughs> and, and like, you know, so of course, like I keep doing stupid things like this. I keep flooding with testosterone. And then I realized that the way that the bulls enter the stadium is that they make, they run up a, a ramp essentially, and then they jump and they'll clear like 20 people, like people will be underneath the bull. So I, it's the last bull. I lie down and uh, the bull starts running and I realize it slips right before the jump and it misses its jump and lands squarely on my back Ooh. and uh, crushes my shoulder. And I think I'm paralyzed. I literally can't move. Everything's gone numb. Uh, and I have this argument with myself, like, John, you idiot, you could spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. And then my other side said, John, this was a fluke. You'll be okay. The amazing thing, and this is from what I understand pretty true. The amazing thing is that people who are paralyzed generally return to standard levels of happiness pretty quickly. Um, and this was a fluke. We'll get through this. Uh, but you would have never been happy not living an adventurous life. And I somehow managed to like shake it off to some degree, but I was clearly damaged. And I yell for a doctor, but nobody can help me because they're literally pulling bodies out of the way. And uh, I make my way to triage and it's a whole long story, but uh, yeah, eventually I made it back home after doctors told me not to fly and <laughs> So did you perceive that risk a little wrong? <laughs> yeah, I miscalculated. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, but that's the winner effect. We're all, here's the thing. Like, you could tell yourself, oh, I would never be stupid enough to let that happen to me. Uh, you're wrong. I mean, maybe your tolerance for novelty and, and excitement is a lot lower. So you'd never be anywhere near the situation to begin with. That I can accept. But I don't believe that you... Uh, that you're not susceptible, not you, you, but like human beings aren't susceptible to this issue. I think it's intrinsic to human beings. 
because if you have testosterone and your body reacts to it, you could fall prey to these issues. I mean, that, yeah, that was one of just the fascinating stories. And I love how you're able to break down these stories and then show all the different things your body's experiencing that leads you kind of to the end result here. And, and the book was just filled with these. I know you're, uh, you're drunk in shenanigans with Kiefer Sutherland. Those, those uh-huh. were just some fascinating reads that I really enjoyed. But what I want to know is what would you recommend to people who might be sedentary in their lives right now and just kind of go through the motions? How do you get them to go out, live a more adventurous life? Well, so let me finish defining adventure and then I'll, I'll give, uh, I'll give, a some advice around it because I think it'll give us some context. So we've said it's exciting and remarkable. It possesses adversity and or risk and preferably perceived risk because you can feel intense excitement without putting yourself in any direct danger, right? I was an idiot. I almost got myself killed, but you can do it without any of that risk. And then the, the third is it brings about growth. The person you are at the end is distinct from the person who started. So if you look at any great hero's journey, uh, the hero or heroine is fundamentally left changed from the experience, right? They, and long past the point that the story is faded and disappeared, um, the lessons that you learned and the growth that you experienced stay with you. Uh, so what ends up happening is that if you're looking to live a more adventurous life, you really want to figure out what it is you want to grow in or what kind of person you want to be. You have to have something that that's worth you getting out of the house for. The other big thing you need to do is surround yourself with the right people. Because if you surround yourself with adventurous friends, you'll pretty quickly be getting out of the house doing things. Uh, so unless you're internally motivated by either something that you want to do, see, or explore, or your environment supports you doing that, it's going to be a bit harder. What inspires you? Um, I feel to some degree a huge uh, obligation. That's not word, right? Let me say that again. I feel um, to some degree, I feel the necessity to continuously push myself beyond my comfort zone. One, because I know that that's where the magic happens in life. And two, because if I don't hold myself to that standard, I can't expect anybody else to. And so I, once I realize something is a growth opportunity, I'm in. And anybody who travels with me uh, knows this, but Let's say we're standing on the edge of a cliff overlooking a very uh, deep pool of water. We're 40 feet in the air looking down. And you say, hey, do you want to jump? And I'd, I'll probably say, absolutely not. <laughs> now let's go do this. Because I don't want to do it, with, but I know that it's good for me. It's like a child getting into a bathtub. Like the, the, It doesn't matter if I want to. What matters is that it's safe and it's good for me. I think this is one of the major reasons I actually wanted to have you on. I love how you talk about uncomfortable. It's where the magic in life happens. And you have so many incredible stories about pushing your boundaries. One I would love my listeners to hear is about your time in Nice. 
Uh, and and oh, the, sure. the evening that occurred there, I, I have to bring this one up. Me and my wife are going to Nice in a couple months, so I'm no, I know she'll enjoy hearing this one. So the the story goes that I was in France for a another event. Uh, every year I try to take on a travel project. Uh, so that particular year it was travel to every major event in the world once a month, right? So every month I'd pick one major event, I'd fly to it. I had no idea how I was going to pay for it. I just <laughs> set the goal and like I figured out budget as I went along. And I'm in the south of France for Cannes Film Festival. Now, I don't care about movies. I went to four film festivals that year. I didn't see a single film throughout <laughs> the entire time. But uh, I arrived a day before my friends. So I had a day to kill and uh, a night to kill. And so I set up this absurd challenge to myself. I took the train into Nice, dropped myself off. I knew nobody, didn't speak the language, had never been to Nice before, didn't have a place to sleep and did no research. And either I was going to convince a stranger to put me up for the night or I was going to sleep on the street. <laughs> and now the last train had left and I realized like I had really gotten myself into something. Now, mind you, in a worst case scenario, I could have probably just pulled an all nighter walking around the streets, or I could have, you know, fallen asleep on some park bench. That wouldn't have really been a growth experience. That would have just been me setting myself up for misery. So I start exploring the streets of Nice, and I find that, like, nothing. And so I uh, stop by, like, a, a jazz bar, and I ask one of the guys, like, hey, what's going on around town? And he goes, okay, check out this place a few blocks away. And when I show up, it is a madhouse. It's like this big expat bar. Uh, there's a bar in the main room. And then the back room is three sets of three park benches with like the, the tables and all that. Like you'd, you'd eat on a picnic with your family. And it is covered with a couple of hundred people between the ages of like 18 and 25 with a live cover band and everybody is sweating. It's must've been like 90 degrees in there and music is going crazy. Everybody's screaming and shouting. Everybody's drunk. And I'm like, I have found the place. And I, I'm so excited. I see this one girl and her friends and every guy is walking up to this girl and hitting on her and failing miserably. And like I say, I, it's important to put yourself in the somebody else's shoes to understand what's going on. And so I realized it's like 90 degrees and everybody's trying to get her drunk and take advantage of her. So I send over a bottle of cold water. I have the bartender deliver it. And she looks at it and she looks at me and she looks at it and she's super confused. And she walks over to me and says, why water? And I was like, it looked like you guys were thirsty. John, you're a smooth criminal. <laughs> uh, now, I had underestimated one major problem, which was that I didn't speak any French. And it's pretty common for the French not to know any English. And so I was in this like idyllic place that every guy at the bar wanted to be in. I was talking to like, you know, the sexiest French girl you could imagine. And I was just, I was in quicksand because every sentence I said, I was falling deeper and deeper and deeper into like, the abyss of nothingness. And the more time I was spending with her, the more I eliminated options for like finding a place to stay because it was clear that like at the level that we were connecting, nothing was going to happen. 
And so I, uh, I start like realizing, okay, I've got to pull the ripcord here and just get out. And so I excuse myself and, you know, I have a, a couple more drinks and I'm enjoying myself and trying to talk to people, but like, you know, person after person, it becomes clear, like, this is just not going to work out. I'm really in trouble here. And so at about, I don't know, it must've been one o'clock in the morning or so. I don't even remember at this point. I, uh, every time I'd gone up for a drink at the bar, there was this group of British guys there that were like very well-dressed actually. And I realized like this bar is about to come to a close. Like I need to make some friends fast. So I strike up a conversation with them, treat a round of shots. And I say, you know, to the adventure, let's make this night epic. And uh, they end up including me in their group. And we go on a pub crawl and eventually end up hopping in a cab. I have no idea where we're going. I just realized, like, you know, it's better than getting stuck wandering the streets by myself. And when we arrive, we're like in some residential area. I have no idea what's going on. They've left me with a bill for the cab. (laughs) And I step out. And I realized that I'm standing outside of a three-story chateau on the border of Monaco. And throughout the night, I'd never asked these guys who they were. And it turned out that they were like members of extended members of the royal family or like uh, lords, uh, like title holders of British uh, families. And we were entering a house with like a service staff and massive bedrooms and just a completely wild scenario. And so since I didn't want to be like a freeloader, I made everybody breakfast at 4 a.m. They gave me a room. We like actually went swimming and hung out for a while. And then I crashed for a couple hours. And the next morning uh, when the guys woke me up and he's like, hey, do you want to ride into town with your... And he like pulled out an Aston Martin, but like one of these super <laughs> fancy cars that I've never been in. Uh, and so it was, uh, it was just a great time. Um, and, but completely unexpected. And here's the beauty of it is that, uh, you know, I could have, uh, just gone to Nice, gotten a hotel room and had a nice night. I would have spoken to some people. It would have been fun. It would have been like amusing, but it wouldn't have been remarkable. And it's actually the constraints that we apply to our lives, the limitations that we put that force us to be creative in the way that we engage. And I'm a huge fan of constraints. Like there's this ongoing joke that like, oh, uh, how was your trip? I was like, oh my God, I was lost in the backwoods of Myanmar, uh, oncoming traffic on the bike that I, because I was riding a bike at night, oncoming traffic pushed me off the road. I fell, I was bleeding, I was bruised, I was lost, mosquitoes were attacking me. I, I just, I didn't even know what to do at that point. So I just kept going down the road and the person would be like, oh my God, that sounds awful. I'm like, yeah, it was the best experience (laughs) of my life. I loved every second of it because that's where the magic happens. The magic happens, doesn't like, doesn't happen in like some luxury, uh, you know, prim and proper environment. It happens when you're pushed to the limits of your capacity. That's where your creativity kicks in. That's where you get to explore and have fun. And so you need it tough enough that it's interesting, but not so tough that it crushes you. So are there and any, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, please. No, I was just going to say, are there any constraints you would recommend to my listeners if, if on their next trip they might implement? Nothing too crazy, but something that they can definitely do and implement. 
So the issue with constraints is that it needs to be in line with what you it has it's, it follows the same thing as a lot of things in life. It follows a Goldilocks principle. You don't want it too hot or too cold. You want it just right. It needs to be the constraints need to be tough enough that it's just at the edge of your capability, but not much more than that. And so what I mean by that, well, uh, say you go to a bar, try to convince a stranger to buy you a drink, right? Like that's not crazy. And if it doesn't go well, whatever, go to another bar and drink on your own. <laughs> like, well, not on your own because that's probably not a healthy habit, but you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so my point is that you can, uh, you can create a constraint out of anything. You literally just say, okay, I'm just not going to do that. So I'm not going to step into bars I normally go to. I, uh, I can't play the games that I normally play with my kids. We have to invent one together. Right? There's an infinite number of options. Uh, constraint, I, I can go out, but I can't hang out with anyone I know. I, uh, I have to only hang out with... Uh, with people from different neighborhoods, whatever it is. Like, it doesn't really matter. Just the point is that you need to expose yourself to experiences that are at the limit of your capability and that are outside your normal um, realm of of activities. Are there any big experiences you're hoping to um, take part in sometime in the near future? Uh, Wow. Um, Like, I know how you mentioned a few years ago you wanted to do the biggest event during that month anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. anything like that you've really got uh, looking forward to? Um, so I'm working on developing superhuman skills. Uh, first, I realized that I needed to repair my body from all the damage. So this year is a repair year, and next year is the superhuman year, I think. Uh, but I want to learn Wim Hof, which is a skill that you can cold-proof your body. So you can go like hiking and ice, or ice swimming and not be affected by the ice. Have you met with Wim yet? Uh, I have not. I'll have to connect I've, you with uh, with Brian McKenzie, who we had on earlier. He works directly with Wim, and uh, Brian works with big wave surfer Laird Hamilton and is one of the, the experts with uh, the breath work and everything. So I think you guys would really like connecting. Awesome. I really appreciate that. Um, and other than that, I, I don't have anything uh, really specific. I do want to spend more time in Africa exploring because I feel like I've been to probably about 50% plus of major European cities. Um, and I've been to a bunch of Asia, but there's still more to see. Uh, so I'm going to Southeast Asia this summer at some point, but I think Africa is the next, uh, continent to really dig in. I've also been to Antarctica. So that's been fun. If you Um, could go back to anywhere in the world, where would it be? Antarctica, without a doubt. Oh yeah. (laughs) I went with expedition trips, which has set me up so well. Like I, I was on a 100-person vessel, and I highly recommend it. I, I mean, listeners, if you're going to do a, a trip, get on one of these uh, one of these vessels that's like a research vessel with 100 people. Uh, and ex- I worked with expedition trips, and they were incredible about the whole thing. Because when you go to Antarctica, you can only have, I think it's 100 people on a landing site at a time. And as a byproduct, um, it's uh, if you're on a large cruise ship with thousands of people, it means that you have a lot less time actually on the continent. Hmm, that's a great tip there. Uh, so I highly recommend it. Okay, I know your time is tight, so I just got one or two more questions. 
any sure. three people dead or alive that you could bring to one of your influencers dinner, who would they be and why? Oh, wow. Um, dead or alive, uh, that I could bring to an influencer dinner. Uh, one of my heroes is a man by the name of Richard Feynman. Uh, he is a Nobel laureate in, I think it's uh, physics, but I think it's specifically quantum mechanics. Uh, he worked on the Los Alamos project. He was a respected professor uh, and wrote a lot of the, the textbooks that I, I believe are currently used in the field. Uh, but he had a thirst for life that was unparalleled, especially from the scientific world. Uh, and truly inspired me with his uh, desire for knowledge and exploration and the idea of playing for the sake of play. Uh, so he would probably be top of the list. I mean, there's, you know, the the standard ones that um, everybody talks about, like uh, Oprah, Sir Richard Branson, so on and so forth. Uh, I think those people are absolutely incredible. But don't know what I would get from dinner from them that I wouldn't get from that. I wouldn't first need to read everything that they've written or that's been written about them. Because I feel like when you have an opportunity to really sit with a global leader, you need to get all the standard stuff out of the way first, like know their childhood, know their like their beliefs, their values, the way that they think ahead of time. So that way, when you really sit down with them, you're now at a level where you can have a conversation about something meaningful. I love that thought there that, I mean, that's very profound and that's how you get deep in relationships and with conversation. So I think that's an actionable takeaway for my listeners. One final question before we uh, let my listeners know what you're up to and what you've got going on. What are you most passionate about in your life right now? Uh, so it's always the same thing for me. I'm incredibly community driven. So for me, it's about bringing people together to create something greater. I love knowing that when I introduce two people, there's now a relationship that exists that doesn't require me to manage and something new is going to be established in the world that has a potential impact. Oh, that's great. John Levy, you are one of the most interesting people. I cannot wait to hopefully connect again when you're done doing your superhuman year. Uh, for my listeners who want to stay up to date on all things you're doing, where can we direct them? Um, so I'm John Levy, TLB, J-O-N-L-E-B as in Victor, Y as in yellow, John Levy, T like Thomas, L like lion, B like boy, and JohnLevyTLB.com. And, or if you want to find me on social, I'm John Levy, TLB everywhere. Great. And feel free to reach out. I'm generally pretty easy to get a hold of. Uh, I try to get to everybody. Uh, and I apologize if there's a way. It's just I get a lot of messages. Great, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. 
If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.